Hey everybody, time for another Code Pen Radio. This one's going to be uh, a little deep in the weeds on literally security. So it's the security of Code Pen, but there's lots of little angles to it and where to apply that security and what that security applies to. And we've been doing, you know, and by we, I mean Alex mostly. Hey, Alex. How you doing? <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, Alex, a, it's a wee thing, for sure. It's, it's a wee thing. It takes a village to, to do security these days. It's true because there's, you know, there's certain things that have to happen on laptops and whatever. And, uh, you know, Alex makes changes and then we figure out what, what, you know, what kind of broke sometimes locally and fix it and get everybody up to speed. And that has to do with dev environments and who knows all, all what else because there's lots of angles to this you can't just say security and you turn up the knob there's a million things <laughs> that wish. factor into this I wish. yeah i wish indeed and so I'm, I'm so glad that you you've even told me at one point you like force yourself to read like if you're reading hacker news and some like exploit comes up you'll like sit there and like read it so you understand not just that it happened but how it happened yeah that's uh you know so we we run a website that is just does one of the number one things that people ask you not to do, which is, you know, store JavaScript and executable code. So security has always been on, on our mind since the beginning. But uh, just because it's so important to us doesn't mean we know all the nuances. No, none of us are like security experts. We're more like app developers. Uh, and mm-hmm. we... We've learned tons of things along the way, but uh, security is a really deep um, subject, and it really it deserves its own its own specialist. Uh, we don't we're small; we don't have that. But yeah, I I, I force myself to really start learning about security, especially um, with all the infrastructure changes we've been doing. That's such a big part of it, and really helps you lock things down. And so, um, luckily, we, we've got great resources. We've learned a ton, and Mm-hmm. doing security is becoming a little bit easier because there's so many offerings there's so much out there but at the same time there's way more hacks out there as well it feels like there there's one all the time so um it, it's you know feels like a yeah there's like one we'll get into race. in a minute like like the classic one where somebody gets access to your database they encrypt the dang thing and then say you want to buy the key million dollars or whatever it is. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that th- those things it's uh those things terrify me. You know, the idea that someone's going to um jump into our network and start encrypting things and we're going to have to deal with the fallout and figure out what they've done, not done, what they've switched. Um so we we've been scared straight. You see those often enough and like I was saying before about the uh reading the post mortems of these things. Whenever I see a hack these days, I kind of force myself to sit down and look at it and then also evaluate what we're doing versus how that company got hacked. Luckily, a lot of the stuff that gets publicized is really basic stuff like default passwords and things like that. We certainly don't do any of that. We're, we're way past that. But uh, nonetheless, it's, it's, there's still quite a bit to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, we've been at this forever. I mean, I think of, it was just, I was just on the, the web rush podcast earlier today we were recording and I have no idea when it comes out, but somehow in conversation came up, like, remember how SAS used to be in Ruby. And so the, in, back in the day, like before serverless functions even existed, we'd have to like, whatever, spin up an EC2 thing with, with, with 
freaking ruby on it. And then we just did it. And then later we're like, maybe that's dangerous if people break out of ruby and, and have core access to that machine or whatever. I'm not sure I'm using all the right words, but that journey's like long over. We have, we've solved that one. That was a security story of five years ago. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I remember eight years ago, you know, I think it lasted about a week where we were running the Ruby code on the, on the same server that we were serving the web uh, things. We didn't even have another EC2 instance. That was, that was a different time. We didn't have a lot to lock down at the time, but um, mm-hmm. we've come a long way since then. Sure. And I, you know, not to jump ahead too far, because we have a bunch of interesting little like pegs along the road to, to cover of recent security stuff we've done. But there's kind of a, a quote from you I wrote down just in chatting with you that's like, you, we could have started CodePen with 100% security in mind. And that's fine. It's just that it's harder. It's more work up front. And at that time, you don't, you don't even know if anybody cares about your product. So like, why be slow on day one when... No, you don't even know if you have a product or not. But if you were to have done that, it sure would be a lot easier now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having to kind of uh, move walls around after you, you've you moved into the home is a, is a whole lot harder. And that's kind of how it feels like now uh, we're doing that. But, you know, at the time, especially the way we did it, we weren't, we were just, you know, a few a few folks in a room trying to get this thing off the ground. And we're bootstrap for a very long time. So we didn't have all the resources that we needed. We we had no idea if we were going to be doing this full time beyond a year. So when we started out, we just kind of were focused on the app and and making sure that we had something interesting. And so, but along the way, we've, you know, we've been uh, forced to learn a lot about security. You know, we've had a little DDoS attacks and we've had all kinds of little <laughs> things come up. And so yeah. we, we've, every time those things happen, uh, we we had no choice but to you know, hunker down and figure out how to do it, you know? Yeah. Thank God. Well, let me tee you one up here. That's a, that's a classic one. You've already said that we do the, we, I think we've said this on the show like a hundred times. We do the world's stupidest thing. We allow you to <laughs> execute code on our website, <laughs> Don't recommend which it, is yeah. like, okay, yeah, not great. But there's some basic, easy things you can do that immediately prevent that from being a problem. Like you never execute it on our site, you execute it on a subdomain or whatever. Like just that alone is, is pure protection, but it doesn't, you know, you still have to do smart things along the way. The risk, if you could execute code in the browser of any kind that you author is this classic thing called XSS, right? Which means just, if I can write JavaScript and, and, and run it on your browser right now, you probably have a browser window open. If I could write whatever JavaScript I wanted on your browser window right now, the first thing I would write, I mean, if I was an asshole or whatever, is (laughs) I would write, go grab all of Alex's cookies and run a fetch request to this browser. And I'm going to save them or email them to myself. Now, all of a sudden I have all your cookies. Now I visit that website and I install that cookie. And now guess who I'm logged in as? Alex, that sucks. That's the deepest kind of security hole there is. Now I can do anything that Alex can do, which is who knows what, but he's an admin of this site. So stuff, you know, that's the risk of XSS. It's that it matters on every site where you can log in on. I mean, it matters on CSS tricks. Somebody leaves a comment with that kind of thing in an I view it and now they have my cookies and can log in as me. That would suck. There just so happens to be the kind of perfect solution for this. The one solution is, well, just never allow that to happen. You know, never execute any. JavaScript on this page that's, yeah, that's easier said than done, you know, a lot of ins and outs to that. (laughs) There is a sledgehammer though, which is called CSP, right? 
Yep. Content security policy. Yeah. And it's been around for quite a bit now. I'm not exactly sure when it was released, but um, I know that GitHub has a really great, amazing blog post. So if you're interested in it, uh, definitely go to the GitHub blog post from 2016. We'll have that in the show notes. But uh, they've had it since 2016. I, I suspect it's been quite a few years before that. And uh, even now, there uh, people are the, or the browsers are still adding to it. So it's not it's not a uh, it's never been abandoned. It's been uh, improved quite a bit over time. And it what it does is it defines what the code on the web page can do, right? From HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, it defines what that web page can do, what images it can serve, what CSS it can serve, where it can load things from, uh, what forms can be submitted into what domains. Um, and specifically for us, the thing that we were most interested in for CodePen was what JavaScript gets to execute on that web page. That was a really big deal for us, making sure that we didn't that we could start to prevent XSS attacks from loading yeah. JavaScript accidentally from uh, one of our users. Isn't that amazing? Like you could you could have XSS holes all over your website. Just just be sloppy as hell. But as long as you have <laughs> CSP, eh, well, you can't run them anyway. Yeah, so, too bad. You know that's amazing. In a way. Yeah, it, it's it's amazing because it's at the browser. The browser enforces it for you. So it's just you can just by default say do not allow anyone to submit a form to anyone but the website that I came from. Or you can say don't allow um, JavaScript to be run in line, which is like a big deal, right? Like if you accidentally. Um, That's probably the biggest one. Right. Yeah. So, for example, if you accidentally um, allow XSS JavaScript for like a username or a just like a friendly name or in a comment or something like that. Uh, yeah, imagine this. You're titling a blog post and you title the blog post, hello world, close script tag, open script tag, alert one or, you know, like you can... <laughs> That's what the XSS comes in, right? Is you can kind of like manipulate the HTML to then run an inline script. Right. And so you can tell the browser, hey, I'm not allowing anything outside of this. And, you know, we have some inline scripts. Uh, that was like always one of the things that held us back from like getting our content security policy in place. But uh, content security policy allows for that. You can um, set these little attributes called nonces um, have a little problem calling them n onces. They're actually called nonces, <laughs> and uh, so it, they're a really simple concept. That for the requests that you get, uh, you create kind of like a, a, a unique hash for that one request, and you set an attribute in the inline JavaScript that says uh, nonce equal to that request attribute, and that will allow you to whitelist the JavaScript in line on your web page. So it's really good for a company like us. We've been around eight years. There's uh, quite a bit of inline JavaScript. We've been removing it for years. But at the same time, I didn't want to have to rewrite the whole world just to do that. And uh, I was really happy to see just how simple adding those nonces were to our web pages so that we could take advantage of the content security policy. That was one right, of the most right. eye-opening things was realizing, oh, like I can start in a very open 
with a very open content security policy and then start honing it and bringing it in over time, which is what we're trying to do. We're still trying to, it's not perfect by any means, but it gives us, in my opinion, like 99% of the value because we're locking down the JavaScript. And there's quite a few other yeah, things that we yeah. want to lock down, but that for us, for a site like CodePen, is the most Huge. important thing. It's all more sites should do it. It's like, it's not that hard. Yeah, it, it definitely. You know, if you're a blog post, like I think there's, there's there are very few websites that support it. Usually it tends to be like the GitHubs, the Gmails, uh, things like that, uh, very large apps. But it's honestly, it, it prevents so much and it's very simple to add to a website that I, I think it, it should, I'd love to see it on more sites just because it just gives you such a nice, like, yeah, very security. good blanket level of security. You know what I think of is Wufu, the company we used to work for. You used to copy and paste uh, if you wanted to embed a form on another site, we'd give you a chunk of inline JavaScript to do it. Now, if we had a Wufu form on a CodePen page now and we didn't include that nonce, which is that little thing that's like 100% proof that like this is your inline script and it's okay to run this particular inline script, that uh, the Wufu form would just fail because you'd open up the browser and you'd see an error in the console. It just says, no, I'm not willing to run that. That's a fail. That's that has failed the content security policy, and I will not run that piece of JavaScript. So for us to fix it, you put the nonce on it, or you you put it in a JavaScript file that loads from the same domain, and then that will run as well. Right. Yeah. And you can choose uh, you can choose what domains you allow JavaScript to load from. So we load Wufu forms for uh, some certain things like uh, customer support requests and things like that. And so we mm -hmm. whitelisted. You know, we can load from this URL that comes from wufu.com, we whitelisted that with our content security policy because we use that same example that, that you just mentioned where we render some JavaScript, uh, we give a little nonce and it gets to keep rendering just like before. We don't have to, I didn't have to end up rewriting that and, and start removing code and changing logic and things like that, which I would imagine for like kind of mature apps um, that is probably what prevents people from even taking this on is the idea that you're going to have to rewrite everything. So um, th there is a gradual well, path right. to get to a better content security policy, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it would be interesting, you know, like people that do security research might deeply probe an app for XSS where if they saw CSP on the site already, they'd be like, I'm not even going to bother. Because if I find one, it's going to be blocked anyway. So why would I even bother? Yeah, there, there's so much to security that at, at the same time, as much as it is uh, this uh, arms race where with hackers and people trying to uh, get into sites and things like that, it, it is a, there is still the concept of kind of like, um, I always think of having like the ADT sign, security sign on the on the in front of your house you know there's plenty of people who don't actually have ADT but like to keep the sign there just because it's this signal yeah. to people trying to come in like hey there's easier things you can do easier targets for you to hack like I, I feel like a content security policy not only does it actually provide real security but it starts to signal to people like hey these people are actually starting to take on uh yeah, security yeah. seriously because it's so like you said before so few websites actually have a content security policy yep so that's great and i think you're right that less people do it because they're a little afraid of it because it might break stuff fine there's this little piece of csv that i find fascinating that it will report to you like you can give it a url that says hey when you find a violation report it 
that way you can like set up error reporting such that you you know if it's broken. So you don't have to rely on a user writing to you and say, hey, this URL doesn't work anymore. You'll actually get an you like we use Sentry, right? Don't you have the CSP violations report to Sentry? Um so no, at the moment there there's too many. We didn't want to overwhelm our Sentry account with yeah, so it can much. be noisy, right? Yeah, it, it can be pretty noisy, especially like you said, like our our site just causes a lot of noise. But then on top of that, one of the frustrating things about the content security policy is that it also causes issues with uh, like extensions and things that are running that a right. user might like have a bookmarklet. That's not going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and so when people try to execute those things, as far as the browser is concerned, that's just JavaScript that hasn't been authorized to run on that web page. And so it's a little noisy. So we don't, in order to like kind of filter through that, we don't actually report that to Sentry. We we keep it in logs. Um, uh, and so... Okay. But we're, we are keeping it somewhere. Just to... Yeah, we store it and I, we, we scan through it, you know, make sure that anything that isn't that is relevant. Like sometimes we have like false positives for things that we forgot to authorize. Um, and so we're constantly, you know, it's kind of a maintenance thing at this point for us. Sure, sure. Like if you had some analytics platform that you trust, you may have to whitelist that and stuff like that. This episode of CodePen Radio is brought to you in part by Jetpack. That is a plugin for your self-hosted WordPress site. You know the docs on CodePen, like blog.codepen.io slash documentation, is a WordPress site, and we do that. So it's real easy. It's a nice CMS for that literally everyone at CodePen has access to to, uh, to update our docs. And this podcast is on it, and our blog is on it, and all that. We use it for, we even manage our landing pages through it. It's great to have a WordPress install for that kind of content stuff, because just WordPress is the king of content, if you ask me. Jetpack helps your WordPress site in a whole bunch of ways, like for security and stuff. But here's one of the big ways we use Jetpack at CodePen is that we use their instant search product, which is totally a la carte. If like this is the only thing you want, this is you could use Jetpack and only use and pay for this if you wanted to. It makes it so that like you open up the search form or you click a search link and this is kind of configurable how you want it to work. But basically an all, an, a full page search experience opens and I like that because I feel like search is like a super intentional thing that you do on a site. It's not like a little side thing. Like if you're searching for something, let's go. Let's open up the search interface. You open up it and then you type and then it has real time results. So as you're typing, it's like giving you the results that you want, which feels very fast and satisfying to do as search. This is all like totally provided by Jetpack. They, you know, take the content of your site, they put it in the cloud in this elastic search instance and, uh, and then really refine things over time, making sure that the best results pop up to the top. On CodePen, we also tell it, just search the docs only, because that's what people are at CodePen. That's why they're searching. That's what they're looking for is how to do something. So that's very configurable too. And you can configure the look of it and all that. But yeah, the Jetpack instant search is just alone is a great reason to use Jetpack. Thanks for the sponsorship. Uh, 
all right. Well, um, there's a way to connect this to this networking thing that I want to talk about real quick. This is like a two second one. Another little improvement. So CSP, what has it been a couple months? Maybe on CodePen? Uh, probably maybe. December. Uh, towards the end of December, <laughs> I was I was still very terrified of releasing this. So we released it around uh, December. Uh, Christmas super time. dead time. Yeah, yeah which is a great idea. time to do it because. Uh, people don't get as mad at you during that time, which is really nice. <laughs> oh, too much, too many jolly cocktails. Um, this is a, a, a tiny little one. You know, CodePen is HTTPS only, uh, right? You can't if you try to visit it over HTTP, it won't work. But it doesn't not work. It redirects to HTTPS, and I, uh, who knows what level of the stack is? I know Cloudflare can do that, so it probably is that level. But I, I think there's some kind, and this is over my head security-wise, but that little redirect or that little gap between HTTP and HTTPS has some kind of tiny little vulnerability or something. And there's this thing called HSTS, which I believe the point of it is to super-duper force SSL, HTTPS. Right. It tells the browser, it what it, what it does is it's telling the browser never load this website over HTTP. Don't even try to do that. Um, I have no idea how you could hack it. Like we're, we're like I said, we're app developers. So when we hear that there's a security hole, we kind of take the researcher's word for it. Um, and so every little layer of security that we can add, we we tend to add it if it makes sense and, and it's something simple. Yeah. And HSTS is one of these like really well, simple, simple things. I think it's like baked into actual Chrome, isn't it? Like, I mean, Chrome like literally has a list of domains that are like, don't even try. So at the browser level, it upgrades to HTTPS. So it never even hits the network insecurely. Right. Yeah. It, that's how it works. Yeah. From what I understood, if you set like a really long, we, we, have an, we have a 12 month HSTS policy, which says for the next 12 months, don't even try to load this website over uh http mm-hmm. and so we've set that and so i think from what i understand i could be totally off here but from what i understand chrome will bake that into the release of chrome and so the Eventually. few websites that do that um that have that long policy um it actually gets baked in the next release of chrome will already have a predefined whitelist of websites that yeah. just say hey i'm not even going to try to load this over http so CSP, by the way, I think it's a, do we do it? I'm talking about like, how do you tell the browser that you have one? Circling back to that for a second, it's a header, right? Right. Yeah, that, that's, I uh, <laughs> probably should start with that. So uh, all of these, whether it's HSTS or CSP, these are really simple things because in our web server response, we just set specific headers, right? And so for the content security policy, it's a fairly long header. Um it's a long header value, but at it, with with a bunch of small parts. Um, but if you go to CodePen right now, you would be able to see that content security policy that we have. Um, and it's it's really simple. At the end of the day, you're just concatenating some strings and telling the browser, "Hey, please don't uh, follow this policy." And, and the browser just mm. will do that. Um, and, and is so, HSTS a, a header as well, or is that yeah? Different? HSTS is a header as well. It's a strict transport security uh is how how we do it and so um both of these things were we're kind of like looking at security headers that we could enable uh that we didn't already have enabled uh, along with that came 
something really we kind of consider small, but it's one of these things that you just should go ahead and do and get the security benefits of it, which is uh, X frame options. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just another security also a header. header. Yeah, another right. security header where we said, okay, we are we're going to make sure that our website doesn't get iframed inside of someone else's website. Um, some nefarious characters could convince your users to go. To, they could embed your login page, but then put some like like a transparent layer over it so that like you'd be able to log what they're typing and that you'd be able to get their username password. It's a mm-hmm. bit of a long con um, and it's, pr- it's probably more worth it when you're like, say, whitelisting a banking site. But, you know, it, it's a, a yet again, yet another small precaution, another thing yeah, we don't have like to worry about. It's like you might as well do it. It's a tiny thing. If anything, I mean, you should do it for the real security reason, but you're also going to get one email a day for the rest of your life from security <laughs> probers that say your login page doesn't have, it, it's subject to clickjacking. That's what Yeah, that, that's what it's called, clickjacking, that they can just kind of like take over your clicks and t- all your <sighs> keys and stuff. I have sighed enough times about clickjacking. It's just, it's one of those security theater things that i get it they're right but it's so stupid and anyway we finally have that now so <laughs> yeah claps claps for us all right now so this last one is the bigger of anything that we've talked about so far that's not really a header thing but imagine i did the xss attack on alex right i got his cookies and i logged into CodePen as alex that's a big deal but it's limited in scope to whatever alex can do on the website so if you, for example, I could start deleting some of Alex's pens. Oh, that's pretty bad, right? But there's no button on CodePen that's like, well, there's delete account, I guess. That's pretty bad. But there's no button that's like delete everybody's account. That's like not a, <laughs> yeah, that's not a button, that button on CodePen. There's no button. So your security is also like, what buttons are there? Like that matters. Like what do you expose to somebody when they're like logged into, for example, our main website? So uh, that that's kind of a big deal. Unfortunately, some of that security is already in place. You know, there is no delete everybody button. There is no export all of CodePen's database button. There's no payment details you have access to. There's very little there that you could do. You could really mess with Alex and his <laughs> history of amazing pens that say hello world on them. But there's not, <laughs> yeah, you'll be shocked not a lot home. you can do. But <laughs> At the what would be really place. bad is if you... Um, somehow got access to every like network thing that Alex's computer can do. Do I have that right? Like that would be worse if you like basically had a clone of Alex's laptop or something. Right. So bef- up until I would say less than a month ago, maybe three weeks ago, um, we were operating off of a kind of a old, a, at this point I'd call it dated model, but it's not too dated. I imagine that there's a huge, huge chunk of our industry that uh, does this. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's basically the idea that when you're on the VPN, which everyone who works at CodePen is on the VPN most of the day, um, that you have access to our internal network. And what that meant for CodePen specifically is that you had access to our AWS internal virtual private network. Um, And it means that you could attempt to SSH into um, the EC2 instances, uh, virtual machines. You could get into um, the databases. If you had the passwords, you you could get into our Redis cache. If you had that, that's something that we depend on. So just by virtue of being on that internal network via the VPN, 
you did need like other security keys, right? You needed the SSH key, the PEM file to get onto the server. You needed the username and password to get onto the database. But once you're on that VPN, it's a little bit of a hop and skip to figure out how to get, start like doing some brute forcing, you know, find some old keys or something that we accidentally left around. Hopefully that doesn't exist. But for example, that, you know, we, we accidentally leaked some of our keys. Um, and we, the, my big fear for, for this is we install tons of open source software. Everybody knows that nobody kind of sits around reading NPM node modules and figuring out what you just downloaded and are executing on your computer. So we have, you know, six people, uh, six developers at CodePen. We're all executing code that from open source projects constantly with this completely wide open network to our internal network. And um, so you're saying if I NPM installed something and ran it at the command line, what it could be executing because I didn't audit that code is code that says, look on Chris's computer for keys and then network request them over to this other computer or something like that would be a wild thing to have happen, but it's theoretically possible. Right. Right. And, And what it could be doing is it could also be just pinging it doesn't even need to send the keys. Is It could look at, there are three internal IP address spaces for for internal networks, right? It's like networks that start with 192, 172, and 10.0. Oh, those are yeah. like, th- th- you won't find those IP addresses on the internet because they're designated for these internal corporate networks. And it's everyone who knows that. There's only three of them, right? And so I could start scanning if I was a nefarious character with a really awesome um, NPM project that's really popular. I could start scanning those networks and I could figure out, hey, that's weird. Uh, All these 10.0 IP addresses, they're resolving, right? Um, And then I could start hitting it and realize, oh, like this, let me start hitting the common ports that are on this network let's oh it looks like redis is completely open i'm just going to start pulling data out of there i have no idea what's in there but i could start pulling data out of there and start sending it over to my server i could start trying to hack into the internal database the mysql database that's open to that network and maybe i need to find the username and password but we'll figure that out you know it's just you're giving access from a developer's computer to your entire network and what happens from there is absolutely unknown. Uh, you have to have all kinds of security in place that you probably wouldn't would have if you didn't have this open network anyway. So, you know, my favorite example is the the target hack from like 2013 when they lost like 500 million credit cards. Part of the reason that they got hacked was because the hackers jumped in through an HVAC system that was connected to a store's... Like the air conditioner. Yeah, the air conditioner. Not like a computer, some fancy computer called HVAC. Literally, their air conditioner was on their internal Wi-Fi. It, that Wi-Fi network had access to a VPN connection that was then connected to corporate. And the way the system was set up was if once you were inside the corporate network, you were trusted. You were whitelisted to get into a bunch of different things. Um, they ended up pulling the 500 million credit cards and everybody had to 
restart uh, or, or reset their credit card numbers, whatever. This caused a ton of plastic at the very least got thrown away. And so that that's kind of like the canonical example of that open network. And so Google wrote this paper a long time ago uh, called Beyond Corp. And the idea was this idea of a zero trust network. And the idea is, why don't we treat our internal network the way we treat um, our networks as if they were on the outside, right? The idea that you have to authenticate yourself at every time, every time you try to access something, even within your internal network. And when you think about it, it's actually a really simple concept. You're like, okay, so every time I ask for something, I have to prove who I am. That's how websites work, right? You send them the cookie that you have, and the only way you got that cookie mm. was... That's if, all a zero trust network is, is yeah. like the internet. Yeah, it's exactly. That's it's funny you describe. It. It's literally what it is. It's it's a fancy way to describe treating your internal network like you're on the internet, right? There is no more whitelisting once you're inside of a, a a safe space, right? Like you treat every request as something that needs to be checked and authenticated, and that seems simple. But when you have these legacy systems that aren't set up for it. It is a long path to get to that zero trust network. Let me tell you, you wish you had cookies to help you out, but uh, yeah. So you cross this milestone, right? Like, you, in order to really be a zero trust network, you have to convert enough stuff over so that there is no. What is what's the opposite of zero trust network? One trust, network. <laughs> one trust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we we're almost there. We are internally. There's still some very trustworthy very like good trust relationships that are a little too kind and we were locking those things up. They're very few now. Um, but the big thing, the like the big glaring hole has been for us is even when you're on the VPN at CodePet and you are no longer trusted, you still are authenticating yourself. And so for us, it went from, um, we're, we were using WireGuard, which ab- absolutely amazing tool if you get a chance to play with that. Um, really great. But then we, what we ended up doing was I, we ended up moving to uh, Cloudflare Access and Argo Tunnel, which are these products from Cloudflare, where we, the entire team, authenticates to Cloudflare and we do like a little login via our Gmail accounts. And they authenticate, making sure that we are the person we say we are and that that request is coming from the right person yeah. every single time. That's pretty big, which then has two-factor auth on it too. So theoretically, even if <laughs> even if somebody did clone your laptop or something crazy, they still can't do anything because they have to get into that VPN then, which they can't. Right. And, and so it's just kind of, it prepares you for the moment where like, Somebody loses a laptop, laptop gets stolen. We get to just immediately disconnect that person and everything that they have access to. They, I don't have to. The, the setup we had with WireGuard, although it was very extremely convenient because you can jump in and out of any server, which is something I have to do all the time. Um, it also just allowed you to do too much. And I'd have to like take down the server, do some changes the the change would be slow, whereas now we're back to a button click as far as like kicking someone off the network. It's a very simple thing to do. The most important part of this, of course, is that I no longer have to have the wire guard thing in my memory <laughs> bar. So that's great. Yeah, that um, real estate that is really big, yeah. right? 
At least its icon was nicer than Opium VPN, which we used before that, which had a really gross icon up there. So yeah, <laughs> uh, obviously that doesn't matter, people. I'm just joking, uh, but it kind of does. So you know what's funny? Just to, to wrap this up a little bit is that you we have you have a board for all this, of course, because we Kanban everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, CP security, and there's still you know there's still a bunch of stuff on here. This is a a <clears throat> I'll just say it a never ending story, which is <laughs> why. <laughs> The the cover art for that particular document is Falco or whatever the dragon from from Neverender Story. It's just... Some people call him a dog, but yes, the dragon <laughs> <laughs> from Neverending Story. Yeah, I mean s- security kind of never ends. Sadly, um, you know it's it's good and bad, but we are getting much better at it. the The beautiful thing is when you look at the hacks. If you look at all the hacks that happened, a lot of the reason those things happen is just because of, I would call it negligence, not changing default passwords, not rotating your passwords every once in a while, um, having things exposed to because of convenience, right? A lot of these things are the having WireGuard was extremely convenient for me. I could just turn it on and I'd have access to all the whatever 15, 20 servers I needed access to. And that's convenient. I don't have to do anything but... um, Taking that away and spending the time that it takes to give yourself uh, access, SSH access, or access to a specific MySQL database that you might need, although it's a little bit more frustrating, once you've done it, you don't have to think about it. Assuming you, you know, once we've automated it, um, it was a bit of a painful process getting everyone up to date and things like that. But uh, once you've done that, it's actually extremely easy. And so that's the beautiful thing about workflows, isn't it? You put in this, it's kind of the life of, de- of a developer. You like write a little code, and the purpose of it is that it just keeps doing its job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it was really frustrating getting us off of that software and then getting onto Argo Tunnel. And there, there's this kind of buzzword soup, like, I can't really describe very well what. Argo Tunnel is it's like a tunneling software, but it's it, it has all these features, and some of these things can be confusing. I'm not a security expert, I'm not a network expert, but you spend enough time with these things, and and they will make sense, or you'll you'll get them going. And yeah. even without knowing, you kind of trust the right people, the right companies to build these things and secure them, so that you don't have to take on that onus, you know. Um, it, it's well worth it knowing that we've literally locked down every single port. Like we we used to have a port that was exposed to the internet, and it allowed us to get into our WireGuard uh, instance that was running our VPN and things like that. And with the new setup, there's zero ports open. It's just magically orchestrated by the folks at Cloudflare who know far more about networking and security than I do. And, have tons of dedicated teams and things like that. And I think that's that's kind of one of the key things about becoming more secure when you're not an expert and you don't have a specialist like at CodePen is being able to offload security to the right organization. It's still going to take quite a bit of work. Like you still have to have an understanding of what's going on to take it on. But um, we try to offload as much as we can and verify that, you know, We've offloaded it to the correct group. You know, for us, it's ninety nine percent of our security comes through AWS and Cloudflare, and those are just 
it's hard to beat those two those two organizations they they just do such a top-notch job of securing things yeah it's always i'm always glad when you work on this stuff because it's 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 one of those things where like you know would i like it if you know i could have a hundred percent of alex's development effort on some feature or something sure but that feature doesn't matter if we don't have a company anymore you know (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah. It, it's first. security is such a such a huge part of all this stuff, and it's so frustrating because you only have to lose everything once, and hackers get to try as many times as they want, you know. So mm. it, it's, but taking it on, you know, we've added layers and layers. We're behind Cloudflare, and we've locked things down, and we're going to continue to do so. You know, there's always these other angles, and it becomes a little bit of a game. Like once you've kind of wrapped your mind around how it works and what's happening and all the like kind of uh, access points, you start to see it in the code that you're writing. You're like, okay, well, what can this do? Are we allowing pathing to this? Are we allowing it to read files that can't, you know? Um, It gets a little bit simpler, but I think initially it just feels like, you know, drinking from a fire hose because it's just a lot of information. (laughs) Yeah. I feel yeah. Well, okay, that was that was fun. That was we touched on lots of stuff there. CSP, HSTS, Edge Frames Options, Zero Trust Networks, all this stuff. It's just it was a good timing to do the show because we just have uh, touched on so much of it lately, and uh, and we look forward to doing some more shows lately uh, about not security. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's definitely something you have to like hunker down, do it, and then we're app developers. We love making apps. We love making awesome features. I never want to, I want to think about it as little as possible. And if you automate it, that's the way to go. So I, I hope we can do way more interesting podcasts that go well beyond just securing our network. Okay. Thanks, Alex. Talk soon. Bye, y'all. Zero, three, one, eight.